0: And I want you all to understand that as as I take you through this book, I'm very aware that the church is under a lot of attack doctrinally in our day. We're under a lot of attack. And um, that's okay. The church has undergone intense attack all throughout its history. But the type of attack the church is under right now is doctrinal in nature. It's sort of like uh, if you were sitting on a stool and somebody knocked it out from under you, to knock you down, what is being attacked in things like the Da Vinci Code and other books like that and a lot of the scrutiny that the church is coming under via the mass media uh, is, is, is the foundation pegs that the church stands on, the, 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 the doctrinal uh, 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 tenets of the church. And so we need to understand not just what the Bible says in certain verses, but a little bit of history. And so I'm going to get into a little bit of history tonight to help us understand um, our, the, the church that we're a part of. Because we're a part of a, uh, not just not an organization, not a corporation, but a living organism that has, all, that has been here since the days of Christ. And we need to understand what it's gone through. So if you have your Bibles, keep them in your lap, but you don't need them because I'm going to have you read with me right here. So, uh, I save you the trouble. So, let's stand together and just read the first two verses, Jude 14 and 15. And this is really powerful. And, and as we have, uh, okay, let's go ahead and read it, and then we'll pray. Now, verses 14 and 15, let's read it out loud together. Can everybody see it all right? All right. Now, Enoch, Noah's great-grandfather, that's who Enoch was, Noah's great-grandfather, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment of all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him." Father, we thank you for your word tonight, and we pray you will minister it to our hearts, teach us, build up our faith, give us great peace, sustain us by your word, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. You can be seated. Thank you. Now, Enoch is the same person we're told of in Genesis 5, 18 through 24, who walked with God. He walked with God. He's the first person in Scripture to be raptured. The Bible says in verse 24 of Genesis 5 and Enoch walked with God, and Shazam, he was not. For God took him. Now, this is so powerful because here we've got a glimpse of what the rapture is going to be like. We're not going to be all together, for instance, at church, if the rapture were to happen and suddenly float up into the clouds. It is from a Greek word, atomos, which means a moment of time. We get atom from it. A moment of time so fast you can't split it or divide it. That's how fast the rapture is going to happen. Enoch was 365 years old, a young man, when God raptured him, he was way back in the days of, of uh, you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all the way back in the, the times when men were living so long, Methuselah, into his 900 years, and so on and so forth. Now, here's Enoch, relatively young, 365, and it says God took him. He was walking with God, and suddenly, he just wasn't. It's just, he was there, and then he wasn't. And that's the way the rapture is going to happen. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Well, how quick is the twinkling of an eye? It's a camera flash. It's it's quicker than that. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the sound of the last trump, the dead in Christ are going to be there. And then we who are alive and remain on earth are going to be caught up in the twinkle of an eye. We're going to be there, and then we're not going to be there we're going to be there and then we're going to be gone in the twinkle of an eye what happened talk about the twinkle of an eye huh did i lose my my projector i lost the twinkle See, I'm anointed tonight, man. We're knocking out electricity tonight. Okay. But we always are ready for any emergency. I don't know how to... Oh, up here. So here we go. Is that clear to everybody? All right. So the phrase, walk with God, which is used to describe only Enoch and Noah... That little phrase, walked with God, the Old Testament uses it to describe Enoch and Noah, refers to the most intimate relationship, the closest communion with God, a walking, as it were, by the side of God. Enoch had a close relationship with Almighty God. And what blows me away about this kind of thing is that he didn't have the new covenant blood. He didn't have the scriptures. How these men developed a relationship with God on that level was purely the work of grace in Old Testament times. Because he couldn't turn to Philippians. He couldn't turn to the Psalms. They didn't exist. There was no Bible until Moses. And then Moses, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, gave us the Pentateuch, the first five books. But until Moses, there was no Bible. So here's Enoch How he came into relationship with God is an example of Old Testament grace because there's no other explanation for it. How could a man get so close, so intimate with God, that God finally said, you can't get any closer because I'm going to take you up and bring you right here to glory with me. And he was walking and boom, he was not. Family looked for him, friends looked for him. Nobody could find him. He was gone. Amen. And so, Moses, by the way, is the one who told us about this by inspiration of the Holy Ghost, because this is in Genesis. So, Enoch, just like Elijah, was taken away by God, carried into paradise, so that he did not see death. Now, how many of you would really like to be in the rapture while you were still alive? Wouldn't that be something? I mean, just driving down. I I hope it happens in rush hour. I mean, how many of you have ever had the the fantasy when you're stuck in rush hour, when it's 110 degrees outside, you could fry an egg on the pavement, that you could somehow make helicopter wings come out of the top of your car and just take off and lift you above it all, waving to them as you go. But wouldn't it be great to be in rush hour and then not be? But this is what God gave us, these kinds of things. Paul said he gave us these things as examples that we should learn of them. In the Old Testament, much of what happened is so that we would have an understanding or an idea of something he was also going to do or something we're going to walk in ourselves. So we read about Enoch. He was walking with God and he was not. And that's what it will be like for millions of people on earth. They will be walking, driving, sleeping, flying in planes, in many places. And they will suddenly not be. Here we have it. He was mercifully exempted by God from the law of death and of return to the dust, just like those of the faithful will be who will be alive at Christ's coming and who in like manner will not taste of death and corruption but be changed in a moment. That's the promise of God. That's what's in our Bible. That's the promise of resurrection. And if there is no resurrection, forget it. Let's go home and watch I Love Lucy reruns. But that is not all there is. There is a resurrection coming. And Enoch and Elijah Show us what it'll be like. Praise God. In referring to Enoch, Jude has quoted from what is known as the apocryphal book of Enoch. Now, stay with me. I'm going to teach you a little bit here that's kind of out of the verses, and let's just go into what this is possibly talking about, because when he quotes Enoch, he's drawing from the apocrypha. So, say with me the apocrypha. Let's, let's say it like we, we can go witness about it the apocrypha (laughs) let's try it one more time one two three the apocrypha if you're out of the catholic church you know all about the apocrypha because it's a part of your bible maccabees and all of that that's the apocrypha let me just talk to you a little bit about this this particular book the book of enoch the book of enoch was known to the church fathers of the second century it was lost for several centuries, with the exception of a few fragments, and was found again in its entirety in a copy of what's called the Ethiopic Bible in 1773. How many of y'all have that copy? You, nobody has the Ethiopic version of the Bible here? Man, it's down there at Borders or wherever. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. When we say church fathers, let me just go there and and start there. When we say church fathers, what do we mean? We talk about Peter, Paul, John? Is that what we're talking about? When you hear the phrase church fathers, who are we talking about? Church father is a title given to certain writers in the earliest period of Christianity who were believed to have been the disciples of who? The apostles. So, When we talk about the church fathers, and if you read anything technical about the Word of God or church history at all, you're going to hear about the church fathers. When we talk about the early church fathers, we're talking about people who were supposed to have had contact with either somebody who knew personally one of the apostles or they themselves had known one of the apostles. So that you got this idea, folks. Of the passing of a baton. Here's Jesus. He passes it to the 12. They take the gospel and run with it. Then as the apostles got old and were martyred or died off, they passed the baton. You get it? Because it's a race. Here we go. Passing it. Now, when we talk about the church fathers, we're talking about those who received the baton after the apostles, way back in early church history. Okay? Who were believed to have been the disciples of the apostles and to have been in personal relationship with them. Real important. Because when the different councils met to decide what was going to be included in this Bible, they paid real close attention to the writings of these early church fathers because they wanted to see if these early church fathers that we're going to look at in just a minute, if they quoted Corinthians, Romans, or other parts of the New Testament. Because if they did, then it was real certain that those letters were going to get included in the canon, the completed canon of the New Testament. Canon means straight rod or straight line so that the Bible is supposed to be very straight, very clean, very sure, very secure. Now, those generally included as early church fathers, here's just a few of them to give you an idea, are Clemens, I debated about this, Romanus or Romanus, it doesn't really matter, Romanus, Clemens, Romanus, Ignatius, Polycarp, Barnabas, and Hermas now when you read about early church fathers you're going to read these names their writings are among the earliest of the Christian faith following the apostles let's take Polycarp probably the best known early church father for an example of a church father Polycarp was bishop of Smyrna do you recognize Smyrna it's in Revelations chapter 2, verse 8. It's one of the churches that John writes to. So here we've got Polycarp was the bishop or the pastor of the church at Smyrna after the apostles, okay? The best information we have about him is from the writings of a man named Irenaeus. Irenaeus knew Polycarp personally and reflected in his writings on how Polycarp Related to him the relationship he had had with John and the rest who had seen the Lord. So here you got Polycarp, an early church father, who because of his age outlived the apostles. And the baton has been passed to him now. He wrote, he traveled, he ministered, he taught. And Irenaeus knew Polycarp, and wrote in his writings on all that Polycarp had related to him on on what it was like to know John and the apostles. Polycarp had personally come into contact with them and was a disciple of them. So here we got the baton going down generations, okay? The apostles appointed Polycarp, bishop of the church in Smyrna, And he remained there a long time teaching the truth. So the earliest church fathers were those who had been in relationship with the apostles or known someone else who had. Is everybody clear about that before we move on? Got it? Early church fathers, they were the generation after the apostles. All right. This matters. It matters. Because if somebody in your life, if you were to come across, you know, one of these brainiacs who think about this stuff all the time or, or uh, college-type people. I remember I ran into this a lot in college. They will, they will attack this kind of thing. How do you know the Bible is the Word of God? How do you know that what you have in your hand came directly from Jesus Christ and the apostles? How do you know these things? Well, then you've got to put together what we call an apologetic response. You've got to know or understand some of the technical things about our faith so that you can say to people, well, here's how I know that the Bible faithfully came down through all these centuries to us today. Here's how it took place. Here's how it was copied. Here's how it was handed down. You may never have to fool with it, but if you do, the Bible says, be ready to give an answer for the hope that is in you to anybody who asks you. That's what it says. All right, now let's move on. Setting aside the church fathers for a minute, the word apocrypha, from which Jude's quote from Enoch is taken, means hidden. Apocalypsis, the revelation of St. John the Divine, that's the Greek word apocalypsis. It means something that was hidden that is now revealed. Apocalypsis, apocrypha, same root word. The word apocrypha from which Jude's quote from Enoch is taken means hidden. Apocryphal books are those considered to be of dubious origin and were ultimately not accepted into the Old or New Testaments except in the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church included the apocrypha. And the Protestant Church did not accept the apocrypha. Now, let me show you a couple of reasons why. Some of the apocryphal writings include, you might know these. I just read some of these titles and I wouldn't accept them. All right? Ecclesiasticus. Wait a minute, we've already got Ecclesiastes. I heard a preacher on the radio one time saying, turn with me to the book of Ecclesiastes. Maybe he came out of the Roman church and forgot about or was kind of carrying Ecclesiasticus with him. But Ecclesiasticus, or the wisdom of Jesus, son of Sirach, that's in the Apocrypha. How about Baruch, or a letter of Jeremiah? We got the book of Jeremiah, but the letter of Jeremiah is in the Apocrypha. The song of the three, the song of the three. Doesn't that just sound so poetic? That's in the Apocrypha. How about Daniel and Susanna? Or this one, next one's my favorite, Daniel, Bell, and the Snake. I'd take one look at that title and say, that's not getting in. How many of you are out of the Catholic Church in here? Do you remember the Apocrypha? Or did you not even get into it enough to know that your Bible had the Apocrypha? <laughs> okay. We got a case of the no-nods tonight. All right, watch this now. Why did the church not accept the Apocrypha? They often contain historical contradictions. <clears throat> and some of them contain doctrinal error, like one of the books in the Apocrypha contends that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob never sinned. Well, we know that's not true. Abraham sinned. We, we see him lying in the book of Genesis. Amen? Jacob, we know, sinned. He lied. He manipulated. He connived. He deceived. We know he sinned, but there's a book in the Apocrypha that says he didn't. While the Apocryphal book of Enoch does not form part of the canon of Scripture, for the larger Christian churches, there are a few groups, including the Ethiopian Orthodox Church, which is right down the road. You can visit there next Sunday if you want to. (laughs) Regards parts or all of First Enoch to be inspired Scripture. But for the most part, church, here's what you need to know. Your Bible... The Protestant church's Bible did not receive the Apocrypha all the way back centuries and centuries ago, rejected the Apocrypha and did not include it, or we would have it in here. It'd be in here, all right? Jude apparently quoted, you're you're saying, well, then why Jude quote from it? Here's why. Jude apparently quoted from it because the passage he quotes from 1 Enoch 1, verse 9, agrees with the rest of New Testament teaching on the Lord returning with thousands of his saints. Jesus said that. It's all through the New Testament. So even though the book of Enoch was not included in your Bible, Jude drew from that one verse because it agreed with the rest of the New Testament. Now, If it had contradicted New Testament teaching or the teachings of Jesus, Jude would not have used it. There's no question in my mind at all. But it agreed. It agreed. So he used it. So that's why you've got in there Jude quoting from Enoch. Because I read that and I went, well, where did he get this? Well, he got it from the Apocrypha. Okay? Everybody with me? Now we're going to move on to the verses. Say praise God. God. (laughs) All right. Verse 1 again says, now here we go. Now you have a better background. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied. Now he's drawing from 1 Enoch 1, 9 prophesied, and here's what 1-9 says. Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Now notice the phrase, I've got them underlined, about these. About these that Enoch who was Enoch prophesying about? He was prophesying about the false teachers that would appear in Jude's day. And I think all the way down through church history to this day. I was driving in my car last night. Uh, and coming back from the, the prayer meeting and everything that we had here. And, or no, that was Monday night. Monday night. And so I was listening to a, a talk show host and he was he was arguing with this man I guess the talk show host was a Christian though it was a secular station and this man was totally attacking the Bible and this man said this I don't agree with the resurrection of Christ anymore I don't agree with the return of Christ anymore but I'm going to stay in my conservative church I'm going to stay there and try to enter into logical dialogue with those who are there And when I heard him say that, I thought of these false teachers that Jude just excoriated, just scathing rebukes on these teachers. Because church of Jesus Christ, hear me. Anytime someone comes in among you and teaches against the blood, the resurrection, the virgin birth, anything like that, you've got in your midst what Enoch prophesied was coming, and Jude quoted. And, and Jude is telling us, Enoch wasn't just nailing it for my generation, but for the whole church age. There's going to be people that enter in among you, sit down at your fellowship meals with you, just like this man said on citywide radio on Monday. I heard him say it. I don't believe in the basics of the Christian faith anymore at all, but I'm going to stay in my church. This talk show host, to his eternal credit, said, I don't want you there. And if I was in that church, I would tell you to get out. And why would you stay? He said, because I want to try to bring them to the place of truth. No, he's a false teacher. He's a false teacher, the very kind that we're studying in Jude. So about these refers to the false teachers of Jude's day and our day. Enoch, he contends, had them in mind in his prophecy. Ten thousands of his saints, when it says the Lord is going to return with ten thousands of his saints, is literally his holy ten thousands. And what it means is myriad And that means an innumerable number, an unlimited number. This would also include angels. And I personally believe it includes you and me. Because we will be raptured. And when Jesus returns in the second coming to wrap everything up and establish his kingdom on earth, he returns with his bride. And that's the innumerable number of saints i say pastor jeff that sounds just way out there to me well if we've been living in jesus day and i had said to you before the birth of christ let me tell you what i believe is going to happen i believe somewhere out there in our little hometown here a jewish girl is going to be moved on by the holy ghost and what is conceived in her womb is going to be god you would have said, Jeff, you know, those were strong burritos you ate last night. And you would have said, that's way out there. But you know what? One day, a little virgin girl was visited by an angel who told her she was going to bring forth the Son of God. And then Later, the Holy Ghost of God moved on her. The power of the Most High overshadowed her, and that holy thing conceived in her was the Son of the Living God. God wrapped himself in skin and visited planet Earth via the womb of a virgin. Now, you're going to tell me that's not as incredible or that the return of Christ. With his saints is more incredible than that no 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 no, no, see when you get in the new testament you're you 're stepping into miracle ground it 's miracle ground I mean you can 't even open up John in the beginning was the word, the Word was with God, the Word was God right off the bat, he lets you know that Jesus Christ was God you you can 't touch the New Testament without walking onto the sacred ground of miracles. It's full of miracles. If you can't receive a miracle, you can't receive the New Testament. All right? So, also, angels included in the innumerable number or unlimited number of saints coming back. Now, ungodly means destitute of reverential awe towards God. Did you notice how many times ungodly is in that verse up there? I mean, I I didn't count them. Let me do it real quick just to see. Who are ungodly among them of their ungodly deeds, an ungodly way, ungodly sinners. There's four ungodlies right there, full of ungodly. What does it mean? Destitute of reverential awe towards God. There's no fear of God, no respect for God. No ability to discern the sacred among the ungodly. I read just this week how the great churches in Europe, because they've lost so many people, are now being gutted by people who want to sell things like the altar that was in the church the holy things that were in the church, like the communion, uh, um, sacramental stuff, and all of that. they to, And a lot of it's on, on eBay. And what they're doing, they're taking things like the altar and using them to build restaurants. See, what that says th- this to me. I would not want to build a restaurant using something that had been dedicated for the holy use of God. But see, when you're ungodly, You don't have any sense of the sacred. Everything is just carnal and normal and non-holy and and not special. And so they're taking altars and, and things from these huge, beautiful churches and just using them for their restaurants where some of the priests have gotten so angry they're going and trying to get some of them back. Removed from these secular businesses now. But see, that says to me, our whole generation is losing the sense of the sacred. And that's a clear signal that our generation is ungodly. Hard speeches. Well, that's a a tough one there. The ungodly deeds and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against the Lord. Hard speeches means hard, harsh, rough, stern. One who speaks roughly and harshly. This is not somebody who just says, well, you know, I'm just not sure about Christ. I'm not sure about the whole gospel thing. No, these people speak harsh, hard, ungodly, mean, rough things. They curse the Lord. They curse the things of God. Much different. This is the hardened heart coming from these false teachers. Amen. And they're out there, y'all. They're out there in our culture big time. Now let's read the translation together, can we? And there are prophesied also with respect to these, the seventh from Adam, Enoch, saying, Behold, there comes the Lord with his holy myriads, To execute judgment against all and to convict all those who are destitute of a reverential awe towards him concerning all their works of impiety which they impiously performed and concerning all the harsh things which impious sinners spoke against him. Now the next verse, Jude is describing the way these false teachers personally behave and also how they manipulate other people for personal gain. Let's read verse 16, can we? These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. Now, the word grumblers means one who discontentedly complains. In this verse, against God himself. Now, watch this. The same Greek word is used for the cooing of doves. Something like that now watch so what he's saying is these grumblers they're under their breath they're they're not to it's referring not to a loud outspoken dissatisfaction but an undertone of muttering undertone of muttering here i am stuck in this rush hour traffic i just hate this traffic going to that crummy job barely pays the bills and then i gotta go back home to that miserable marriage and those screaming brats of kids and I just come I talk, I talk. but you're not looking up saying it out like it's it's a it's under your breath it's murmuring he says that's the way these false teachers do I know none of you do it I know I don't do it I'm sorry Lord I do do it sometimes But it's interesting what the Bible calls wicked, isn't it? Now, complainers means blamers of their lot, complaining of one's lot, discontented. I was listening to Joyce Myers this morning. She was talking about this. She was saying, you got what you got. And whatever it is that you've got, you can still work with it. So quit complaining about what you've got and work with it. Because that's what kept the children of Israel in the wilderness for 40 years instead of traversing it in 11 days, complaining about their lot. I hate this manna. I hate the the water coming out of this rock. I don't like Moses. I don't like Aaron. We're out here in this godforsaken wilderness. Let us go back to Egypt. And their mouth, because they kept complaining about their lot, kept them from the promised land. So accept what you got and work with it. Amen? And that's straight from Joyce Myers. Walking speaks of a planned course of conduct. They walk this way because this is the way they planned in their mind to do it. They've made up their mind. This is the way I'm going to be. Lust is a passionate craving, good or bad, depending on the context. And of course, the context in this verse is not good. It's bad. Swelling means immoderate or extravagant and arrogant. When they speak swelling words, it's talking about flattery. They are flattering people with swelling words. How many of you have ever had somebody compliment you? And as much as you wanted to believe it, you knew it wasn't true. They were just working you. Amen? It's, the, it's, the, it's the, what the con artist does best. He just, he flatters you. She flatters you. It doesn't matter. And, and, and they're doing it to swell you so that you're not in your right mind. You've been so flattered that then they can gain advantage of you. But deep down, you know what they're saying. Though you wish it were true, it's not true. Flattering means to admire someone's countenance, to overly focus on and glorify appearances. So this is the way that these false teachers work. Walking in this course, lusting after wrong things, speaking swelling, flattering words to gain advantage over other people. Translation. Let's say it together, can we? These are complainers against their lot ordering their course of conduct in accordance with their own passionate cravings. And their mouth speaks immoderate, extravagant things, catering to personalities for the sake of gaining advantage. And next week, finally, he's going to talk to us instead of about these false teachers. But as for you, beloved, and that's next week. Can we stand together? Amen. Father, we just thank you tonight for the Word of God that you have given to us. We thank you that it can be trusted and leaned on and relied on and walked on and lived by and died by. We thank you, Lord, that contrary to these false teachers and the judgment that they're under, you have led your church to walk in humility, building themselves up in their most holy faith, waiting for the certain appearing of Jesus who will surely one day come and when he comes lord we know that suddenly in the twinkle of an eye we will be with him lord we see history racing towards that hour and we pray that we are ready and you help us to reach as many as we can before that day in jesus name amen